So, up out there, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Alamo Auto Podcast. This is episode 222. Ooh, that's a good number right there. Roll that's nice. Quite easily. Yeah, this is your host and producer, Jared Kamas, joined by my co-host, Adrian Bermudez. Uh, unfortunately, here to recap a loss. What? Just the way that we started out, uh, whatever episode it was, uh, <laughs> our first recap of 2022. So, it's nothing unfamiliar. Adrian, how are you doing today? I'm doing better than I was leaving TDECU Stadium on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Labor Day weekend, a lot easier to digest and process a loss with that extra day off. And usually a lot of distractions to get in the way of that, too, with the Labor Day festivities. So that helped. But still hurts, brother. Still sore. Uh, the The throat and the voice is still sore. The ass cheeks from the metal bleachers are still sore. <laughs> And I laughed about your tweet about that. Like, we don't. I just I say it all the time. I mean, people don't realize how good we have it. We Alamo don't realize. Dome. We do not realize the comfort of the Alamo Dome. And that. And and you know, I came to that discovery after now traversing through several Texas college football stadiums. You know, from mm-hmm. UT to U of H to 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 Baylor's, Baylor. to Rice to UNT. We're the only place in the world that has chairs to sit down in in a stadium there there are some that have them but they're like super premium seats on the 50 yard line correct correct every that's how kyle field was yeah yeah it's like a hundred dollar seat in view well i guess really high in the upper deck it's a little bit far but yeah the Uh, alodome literally does not have bleacher seating right absolutely every seat in the house you'll get some armrests you'll have your seat back you'll be comfortable in there man I so, I read a lot of interesting feedback about TDCU Stadium after the game. A lot of people were underwhelmed by it. Mm. I guess for me, like I think my perception of it is defined by Houston when they were an up and coming AAC program, and at the time it felt super nice for a G five to have that stadium. But I, maybe this open. year people were like, oh, they're a Big 12 school now and maybe had a certain expectation that would match uh, like McLean Stadium at Baylor. And it's definitely not that nice. Um, definitely not. The finishings definitely are not are not as nice. So that was kind of interesting for me to see. I also like saw some complaints about the game day atmosphere, which was ironic because all of my U of H buddies were like, that's one of the best atmospheres we've had in years. Well, to me, <laughs> that's... Uh, to me, I think that's where the disconnect is happening because maybe the stadium isn't lacking as much as people were giving it grief for. Sure, it's not McLean uh, or other Big 12 stadiums for that matter, but the atmosphere in there was pretty subpar. You know, you think of an opening game in Houston. I mean, I figured the, the Houston crowd would be a lot more packed, a lot more volume, a lot more ruckus, right? But, dude, you look down at that lower bowl, it was just gaps all over the place. Uh, didn't seem to be a whole lot of electricity from Houston fans in there. And so I think maybe that's why people are getting – because if, it, if it's jam-packed with Houston fans and they're going nuts, I think everyone's talking about how awesome of a stadium and game day experience it is. But not quite the As case. someone that's been to a lot of Houston games, I think that's that was pretty damn good for a Cougars game. You know, I think well, that's the average for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been tough average. for them to kind of keep it up. And I, I move into the Big 12 is going to help them drastically. But, you know, someone that goes to a lot of games, I thought it was pretty solid. But you're right. I mean, I, I didn't think the the fans were super, super engaged. Mm-mm. Like I was up at the 200 level and I kept looking down at the lower bowl and it felt like no one was standing up on third downs. Uh, definitely was not very loud. 
it was probably loud like down on the student section side but we were on the complete opposite end of the stadium so and the utsa section as well the utsa section is shoulder to shoulder everyone's on their feet everyone's screaming everyone's ruckus and loud and crazy and so you know <laughs> we definitely had our seats man we had a oh, buddy we had to get hpd involved at one point but you know <laughs> we were um we were definitely bringing the energy at our utsa section and so i appreciate that a lot of people out there at the utsa um visiting section a lot of people out there at the utsa tailgate which was a good time i don't know if we want to give our analysis of that although i do have pros and cons to list for it and uh <laughs> you know it was uh it was all in all it was it was a great showing for the roadrunner faithful it just wasn't quite so great of a showing from the roadrunner football team jared and and that's what's still the most sore more so than my throat or my ass cheeks is uh <laughs> my heart man it was it was a tough tough way to start the 2023 campaign with a senior veteran laden offense that you're expecting to just be electric and polished and sharp and go out there and, and just execute on all cylinders and uh it wasn't quite the case you know utsa made a hell of a lot of mistakes in that football game and and you know a lot of times and we talked about this in our in our immediate reaction call but a lot of times the team that wins the football game is a team that makes the least amount of mistakes mm -hmm. utsa was not that team on saturday night we had a little bit too much go wrong by way of special teams play by way of penalties by way of subpar throwing from frank harris three interceptions 50 percent completion percentage and just a lot of open targets that were missed in general and so all of that came back to bite UTSA in the butt. At the end of the day, you only put up 14 points against the U of H. And uh, again, a one possession game to him, two years in a row, losing. Um, not quite as heartbreaking of a fashion as it did in 2022, but it hurts just as bad, I think, man. And a lot of people wanted that revenge, that redemption game too. And so maybe that, that hurts the emotions even more. Yep, for sure. You know, it was interesting. I, I heard Jeff Trailer mention this in an interview this morning, this week. I, man, I've lost track of, of dates. You know, starting the season off with Labor Day holiday really gets my biological clock all messed up. Hmm. But uh, so he mentioned that he felt like UTSA lost a lot of points due to special teams and penalties, which that's totally accurate. You know, yes. if you watch the game. But, you know, I like to use these statistics called EPA, expected points added. Pretty much what that does is it looks at like what happened on a play based off the position of the field that you're in, all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, did this play add projected points to the score or take them away or stay flat? Right. Um, so like if you run for a 99 yard touchdown, it was a pretty low percentage that you were going to score on that drive. So that's like a major addition and your expected points added. Uh, and then vice versa, if you have a turnover on the one yard line uh, before you score, you know, that takes away seven points, whatever. Mm -hmm. So okay. they have that statistic specifically for special teams and penalties. UTSA lost. About 15.5 points, special teams and penalties. More points than they scored on offense. Combined for penalties and special teams, we lost 15 and a half points. Yeah, so special teams EPA was a negative 11.47 and penalty was negative four. Oh my goodness, that is absolutely brutal. dreadful. 
That is brutal. Well, look, Jared, uh, UTSA's average starting field position was on their own 16-yard line. Yeah. U of H's average field position was from the 29. And what what is so mind-blowing about that figure for UTSA is they had like three or four turnovers on down. And their average starting field position was still the 16. <laughs> that, that, that's all points back to special teams play, man. We had I mean, the big uh, killer there was Chris Carpenter calling for a fair catch on a kickoff, muffing the catch, and then taking a knee. That put him on like what, like the three yard line or something like that. That was brutal. That was brutal. Like they, they they had a drive going on that one, and then I think Frank threw a pick. Well, and I think that's a great point, Jared, because it's not like special teams play was was hampered because U of H was just dynamite on special teams, right? Like downing the ball at the one yard line or whatever. Like, no, it was it was more so uh, on our own fault with yeah. the receiving team, right? Or on the other side of it, whenever we were kicking the ball back, you know, Lucas Dean, a few punts got away from him. That was really brutal. And U of H, you know, they've got they've got seventy yards to work with on average, while UTSA is looking at eighty five. Mm-hmm. And you know, it makes a big difference. Oh yeah, totally, totally. And, and it's, it's a momentum thing more so than it is just a starting field position thing, but you have a, a lot more work cut out for you. And that sinks into the savvy, uh, in, into the, into the thinking of the players. And the other part of it is, and what's so crazy, I think about all of it is UTSA's offense really outplayed U of H's. It just didn't reflect on the scoreboard, but UTSA has 417 total yards of offense on 71 plays versus Houston with 334 total yards of offense on 72 plays. But U of H, I'm sorry, but UTSA is only able to score one touchdown in the first quarter and one touchdown in the fourth quarter. In the majority of that game, there were no points at all being put up on the scoreboard for the Roadrunners. I left that game... Okay, I, this is more of a general statement than just the offense, but I, I love that game in a much better mental state than I think like most UTSA fans, mm. because I'm like, Frank Harris is not going to throw three interceptions in too many games, right? You know, not something that's tradi- traditionally happened very often for him. Right. Um, he does throw interceptions in bunches. I'm not going to deny that, but as you know, it's not like it's going to be an every, every game kind of thing. But I thought UTSA did an okay job overall on offense because I think the Houston defense was pretty good. They were bad last year, uh, but they look solid to me. I mean, I thought their linebackers did an awesome job of filling gaps and their defensive line is really strong. So, I mean, it was a like really, really good battle, I thought, between UTSA's offensive line um, and Houston's you know front seven on defense. That transfer they have, I think it was the, the East Carolina cornerback that had two picks. He was incredible. He played a great game. Mm-hmm. And then Traylon Payne, the kid from Judson that unfortunately UTSA couldn't land the recruiting battle for, his interception was nuts as well. So, like, at first I was like, wow, that, that was awful. But then you go back, you watch the film too, and it's like, oh, those are some pretty athletic plays from the defense. So, you know, I think this Cougars defense has, has greatly improved. And I think, like, the offense, like, you can still see some promise there. And then, like, you can just kind of picture JT Clark getting back on the field. Frank Harris starts to get back to his normal self a little bit. Still fairly high in this offense. I think they're going to be just fine. The offense will be just fine. Look, a lot of this was mental errors. A lot of this was were, were mistakes that we were making. You know, we were negating good, positive momentum based off of penalties. 
And Frank Harris, the fact of the matter is the guy's rusty. Mm-hmm. He didn't throw any passes through all of spring camp. Didn't, I mean, he hardly wasn't even on his own two feet. Guy was wheelchair bound going through four different knee procedures. Really didn't get on his feet to start throwing footballs till June, July. Right. And so very, very limited reps since December of 2022 for Frank Harris. Yeah, coming in. We, we mentioned this on our instant reaction Patreon call uh, the day after the game, but I think we discounted the fact that like, you just think like Frank's the seventh year senior, like he doesn't need a whole lot of practice. Um, and he knows the offense, right? But I think like building that chemistry with the young receivers mm. is something that he's really missing out on. Like there were a lot of plays where David Amador and Devin McQueen were open or got open. Um, and Frank th- either missed them or threw it to them. And like, those are the kind of connections that he has with Josh Cephas, that he has with Corey Franklin, sure. that he has with Oscar Cardenas. So I think just like more reps with those guys in the offense is going to really behoove, but you know, all those parties and get this offense, you know, just clicking a little bit better like how it was in the past. We definitely saw that. We saw an open Dan Dishman and a couple critical plays get completely overlooked. Yeah. And then ball, the ball just was not leaving Frank Harris's hand the same way that it normally does. I mean, he was missing saw, some zip for sure. He yeah. was missing some zip. I mean, the vision is part of it, right? He was missing receivers, but then the actual passing itself, right? He was missing some zip. He overthrew a lot of guys. He overthrew a couple of scoring, potential scoring mm-hmm. passes. Uh, he And then and then some he just flat out missed, right? So whether it was overthrow or it was just not in the realm. And then a couple of those interceptions were thrown into some pretty ugly coverage, I think. Right. Uh, that definitely could have been avoided. And so... Definitely not the same Frank. I don't think you saw a 100, 110% Frank out there. You know, he's probably playing more at a 75, 80% of what he's typically. So those reps, unfortunately, those practice reps that you would normally get throughout a spring camp, throughout an entire summer, throughout the whole second academic semester, you're now having to get those reps during the regular season in our out of conference play. And so it is what it is, but you're going to have to see these growing pains sort of continue week over week, but I think it's going to get sharp quick. And uh, the penalties, I expect those to go away. I mean, this is something that has been a struggle through Jeff Trailer's mm-hmm. tenure here. Uh, we tend to start the season ugly on the penalty side. And then as the season progresses, we tend to clean it up and get better. But we have not come out and start a season under Jeff Trailer playing really clean, polished football uh, and by way of penalties. And unfortunately, that's just a reality. But yeah, the only, I think that makes sense when it's the start of the new season. You're playing young guys or whatever. It wasn't the new young guys that were committing the penalties and the mental mistakes, though. I went back and looked. It was like all single digit guys that were getting flags thrown and not lining up in the right place, whatever that, that kind of bugs me. Cause those are supposed to be your leaders that are supposed to know better. Right. Um, and, and you know, Donia Taylor's hit out of bounds was particularly egregious. You Brutal. know, who knows if, if the Houston kicker makes that kick, if it's, you know, uh, 10, 15, 10, yards, 15 yards further behind, out yeah. than what he ended up kicking. But I mean, I think there's a good chance. And I mean, that could have been the deciding factor in the game. You know, the game's tied without that field goal. So it's just the stuff like that. that it's got to get cleaned up obviously. And, it shouldn't be the guys that have been here for three, four years that we're asking to clean up. You know, it should be, you know, right. Amador, it should be Houston Thomas. Like you can kind of let those things go because they're new and they're learning and all that. But yeah, it was just weird to see the older guys in that in that kind of predicament. 
And the crazy thing is, whenever everything was clicking, this offense, and it only happened once or twice, but when everything was clicking, this offense looked exceptional, man. On that third UTSA offensive possession, we marched downfield, eight plays, 80 yards, three and a half minutes. You're talking about a 10-yard average per play. Like every single time the ball was snapped, it was positive yardage. We walked downfield, scored the game to tie it. It was right after U of H had um, that quick score uh, after a really, really bad um, Lucas Dean punt. And so that was like, we saw we saw it happen. You know, the first two drives, we go three and out or whatever. And it's like, okay, we got to figure this out. We kind of got to get warmed up. And then that third drive occurred. It was like, okay, we're here. Boom. There's the magic. That's the roadrunners that we've been waiting to see. Here we are. And then it went away and we couldn't get it mm-hmm. back. And there were a lot of times where we were moving the chains, losing positive momentum by way of penalty. Frank Harris's interceptions happened to come on three consecutive possessions interception 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 i think that's an enormous momentum killer and uh really like a, a through a rut in the offensive rhythm for a while and then jared you know the utsa defense gets you fourth down stops twice that you get zero points off of mm-hmm. you have got to have like now the defense did not go and get you a turnover but they go and get you a turnover on downs that's the next best damn thing you got two of those turnovers on downs you know, whether it was uh, I mean, you weren't very deep in your own territory at all. I think one of them was actually pretty decently close to midfield and you couldn't get any points off, not even field goal. And so those types of things are the killer, especially whenever you see UTSA outgaining Houston in total yardage, 107 more yards rushing for UTSA than Houston. What is nuts because <laughs> UTSA had 30 rushing yards against Houston last year. And I'm not yeah. going to say they ran all over Houston. That wouldn't be accurate, but they ran pretty dang low. Man, I don't know, man. I think a 5.9 average per carry is is pretty yeah. damn close to running all over. Yeah, touche. Filthy. Just filthy. But it could not come to fruition by way of points. Just could mm-hmm. not get it. And then, you know, U of H 0 for 2 on fourth downs. UTSA converts both their fourth downs. We're two for two. We have a better third down conversion rate. We have a better fourth down conversion rate. We have more first downs in general. Like, by all metrics, Jared, UTSA was outplaying U of H, but it's not reflective. It's not indicative at all when you look at the score. Couldn't finish. Yeah, I I think what's what's more indicative of teams like long-term success for a season is like their like kind of average performance play to play. I think that tends to have a higher degree of like repeatability, you know, opponent to opponent stuff like that. So some really bad plays for UTSA, the three turnovers, obviously the lining up over the snapper on, on the field goal attempt that took made a, what should have been a field goal for U of H turned into a touchdown you know, the, you take away like five plays in this game and UTSA wins pretty handily, right? Similar to last year for Houston. But then what do we see this team do after that, right? You smooth those things out over the season. You know, if you're a good team from snap to snap, most of the time you're going to work yourself into a pretty good record. So I'm not, I'm not very discouraged from this loss. 
it's kind of funny walking out my friends were like consoling me and stuff i was like i mean what did y'all think this is gonna be easy come on bro <laughs> like, it's never i, I, I think a lot of youtube fans are just like a little bit too hyped up in this game right and when some of the stuff that happened you know it makes sense that you just can play you know decently well well enough to win with the exception of a couple of plays that turn the tide but you know when you're as evenly matched as two teams are that's going to be the difference every time yeah, man. But I mean, you gotta you gotta remember the the heaps and mountains of praise that were being bestowed upon this UTSA team, and rightfully so. You know, yeah. I think I think all of the praise and the hype and and the preseason stuff that UTSA got. You know, you got Steve on College Game Day wearing a Roadrunners windbreaker pullover. You got guys meep meeping on ESPN. I think all of that was very very warranted excitement and hype, and that's kind of why the loss stings so much. Because you know this team is better than the way that they played. Uh, you wanted the redemption. You wanted the revenge game. But also, something about, you know, a, a big matchup on the national spotlight feels like it, it. it's great to propel UTSA in these types of games. Um, but we could not capitalize on what was a very, very golden opportunity to get national pundits everywhere really riding that UTSA train. I mean, that's gone. Mm -hmm. That's gone. Mm -hmm. And you got to fight all year long to now get that back. Right. That's what's that's what's the killer, because it feels like this has happened to the UTSA football program before. Like every era of UTSA seems to have one of these like really big, critical come to Jesus games where we just can't deliver. Right. Yeah, that uh, that 2014 home loss to Arizona is one that always sticks that's out the, to me like that. That's right? the first one. That was the original. Yeah. Yes, man. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I hate to be pessimistic, but after this loss, it's hard to imagine UTSA getting ranked for seven to eight weeks. It's going to be a late season ranking oh if it happens at all. Gosh, yeah, you've got to bust tail and it's going right. to barely be enough to scratch the surface. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. if this U of H team goes on the rest of their schedule and only comes out with five wins, right? Four wins. Yeah. It's, it's I, I was going to ask you about that when we were going to wrap up, but maybe now is a better time to ask. What do you think these Cougars are going to do in the Big 12? Dude, I don't know, man. Look, like I, this year, this year, not long, not long. Not long I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. No, I look, I think they're going to be maybe better than anticipated. You know, Donovan Smith looks pretty good out there. I thought he threw the ball pretty well. He didn't make any mistakes, really. I think he had a. Um, I think, he, I think one, he got away with a few. He got away with a few, but, but nothing egregious. Yeah, right. Nothing egregious. Um, they definitely still have a slew of talent uh, in their receiving core. Their defense, man, like their their defense, I think is probably going to be the sore thumb of the unit. When when I think going into the season, I probably would have said that. The other way around, thought the defense would probably be more reliable than the offense, but I think U of H's offense is going to do okay with with putting points on the board in the Big Twelve. I guess like my general feel of that team is they're going to beat the bad teams in the Big Twelve. They're really going to struggle against the better ones. Sure, yeah. I thought uh, their right tackle uh, needed a lot of help. Uh, UTSA kind of kicked the guy's ass all night. I went, when I went back into my film breakdown, I was like, good Lord, 74 is getting worked out there. No matter who UTSA put on, it was, it was turning into pressure. So I, I think they have like some talent gaps on that roster still to be at the power five level. 
But I mean, I don't think they're a bad team. I I, I could see them at a bowl, but probably not much more than that. Yeah, and you know, the UTSA defense was extremely salty in this game, man. Mm -hmm. They did every single thing that you could ask for them to do, minus getting you that turnover. Those guys did it all, and they delivered on all fronts. Definitely Um, one of the best defensive performances of the trailer era, wouldn't you say? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely one of the best defensive performances we've seen. There's not too many times in the trailer era we've held anybody to 17 points, under 20 points, <laughs> right? And so, look, it was excellent, man. Like, if you look at um, the drives that U of H scored on, their touchdowns, their, their touchdowns came on a 35-yard drive and a 22-yard drive. God. Oh, it's painful. So they could not get all the way downfield to get into the end zone. They could only score a touchdown when they were literally plopped right in front of it. Mm-hmm. Their field goal came on a 74-yard drive. And that was only by way of penalty. Mm-hmm. Right? Most encouraging so, thing for me for UTSA's defense in this game, I didn't see a single Cougar receiver just completely wide open, uncovered. Because mm. that's been a big problem for UTSA for, for several years now is anytime they play a team with a good passing offense with some really strong, you know, NFL talent receivers with a quarterback with a live arm, they almost always give up one or two touchdowns where there's no one within 10, 15 yards of a receiver. I thought for sure that would happen with Matthew Golden and with Manjack. One of those guys just be left completely abandoned out there, sure. um, especially with the new guys in the rotation in the secondary. And it really didn't happen, you know, and even too, like, if you look at some of Houston's best passing plays, great catches, great routes, you know, it's just yeah. like, you you can't win a hundred percent of your one-on-ones. If you're a defender, um, great example, Cam Alexander had an amazing game. He got beat over the top by a receiver whose name I can't recall right now, but it's just like the, the defense really could not have been any better, you know? So it's like, you're just going to lose some of those, but I thought overall the secondary was like just way, way, way better than I ever imagined. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Donovan Smith, you know, they got to him three times in the backfield for three sacks. Yeah, uh, there, was, rem- there was a lot of pressure outside the sacks too. Put I mean, a lot of pressure on him. He couldn't really comfortably sit in the pocket all that often. Well, I think that's why I was impressed with Donovan Smith because he threw some really good balls out there despite, you know, mm-hmm. being in a lot of trouble in the backfield. Yeah, there were a lot of times he was under immense pressure and still got a pretty good pass off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Roadrunners did not do themselves any favors whatsoever. Uh, outside of defense, when we're looking at offense, we look at special teams. We did not do ourselves any favors. However, Jared, we didn't receive any favors either, my boy. A couple people would have got them go up there and, and I won't say this at all, but you know, the word rigged gets thrown around oh, a little brother, bit. Brother, get out of here. Big 12 refs on the playbook. Look, here's the fact of the matter. There were some really bad missed calls uh, that U of H committed on UTSA that were not called. Probably don't change the outcome of the game, but my boys did not get any favors out there. There were some really, really egregious penalties that were not called by way of pass interference, by way of intentional grounding. There was a late hit on Frank on the sideline. Uh, none of those got called at all. But the most egregious, Jared, is UTSA arguably gets the stop on the final U of H drive of the game. And then 
the play gets reviewed, replayed. The measuring sticks come out. By all accounts, the replay indicates the guy's a yard short on that third down run. And then it appears that the, 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 the ball spot was, was altered, was moved, was changed. Yard was given. Sticks come out. Refs award U of H a first down. That's the ball game. Jared. I hate talking about officiating on the podcast, man. I really do. The refs were bad, for sure. They missed a lot of calls. They had calls incorrect. Like, sometimes they would throw a flag and, like, yes, there was a penalty, but they would, like, call the wrong number. I saw a lot of that on the replay. Just felt like an amateur crew, to be honest. Right. Spot looked bad, for sure. But, I mean, it was only going to be fourth down. Dana absolutely would have gone for it on fourth and one. Mm-hmm. You know, who's to say they're not going to punch that, you know, extra couple of yards or whatever. So, I, I, I definitely uh, do not agree with the stance that this game was, like, stolen from UTSA by the refs no. or whatever. No, you can't yeah. say that when, when you had as many self-inflicted mistakes as the Roadrunners did. But... Yeah, definitely uh, not a great showing from the officiating crew. I will give you that. Okay. Yeah, I just think it needs to be said, you know. Uh, other than that. Oh, I'll say too, the, like, there was a lot of no call holding, but I watched a lot of games over the weekend. And now I felt like every game I watched, <laughs> dudes were getting held left and right and there were no flags coming out. So I don't know if like the refs are easing up on the holding flag to try to get the game rolling or whatever but yeah it's it's uh it's it's been pretty ugly this past weekend so big highlights Kavorian Barnes 16 carries 103 yards 6.4 average yards per per carry busts a 44 yarder on that thing uh just absolute filth running the ball we're looking at a we're looking at a sophomore posed posed to uh have a thousand yard rushing season um and then right behind him, you know, uh, Rocco Griffin, I thought um, he did well on, on the couple of carries that he had. Yeah, I, I think he ran better than his stats show. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then receiving wise, Jared, you know, we got to we got to meet some fantastic new guys that I think we can be extremely, extremely high on for UTSA by way of Houston Thomas. Uh, well, we all know Dan Dishman, uh, but Dan Dishman was out there. He was getting open. He had another big catch. Um, and then how about David Amador uh, really just turning the corner and hitting the burners on? And there were a lot of plays where um, where he was an open target as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, really, really high on uh, on some of the young roadrunners coming up in and coming up. Houston Thomas, David Amador really, really looked fantastic out there. Devin McQueen too. Devin McQueen, great. Yeah, um, I think those two young receivers are going to have great years. They're definitely going to play all year long. Like they're not getting redshirted. You did not put them on the field that much in game one. If you're going to redshirt them, I think maybe you change their roles in the offense a little bit. Like, uh, I think it might have been Greg Luca asked Coach Trailer like, you had Cephas in the slot still. Like, did you think about moving him outside to give the outside target? And trailer pretty much said, like, yeah, we're we're looking to do that potentially. So mm. like, dude, you move Amador into the slot. And I I like his chances there, man. I think that could be pretty enticing. Um, so yeah, Amador look that play you're talking about, that jet sweep, he looks look so faster in that corner. It's one of those guys that's faster on pads, I think, than at a seven on seven camp or whatever. Looks super explosive. 
and he was open for a touchdown. He ran like a corner route from like the 20 yard line or something like that. And Frank just couldn't hit him. Um, how crazy would that have been for David Amador to score the go ahead touchdown in a home game? What, like 20 miles from where he played high school ball? You know, didn't get the offer from the local team. That would have been super cool. Um, and then McQueen had two plays in the second half that he could have scored touchdowns on. The first, he had like a reverse jet sweep, and Cameron Cooper was out blocking for him. And McQueen kind of ran past Cooper, didn't wait for Cooper to deliver the block. If he had waited for that block, it would have been a touchdown. There was mm. nobody in front of him. Yep, 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 yep. And it's just a couple a couple plays later, they run a fade route with him on the right sideline, and he toasts the defender, and Frank just couldn't deliver. Mm. Man. I think we also got to give a shout-out to Robert Henry, who uh, ran the ball pretty well. And mm-hmm. uh, Juco transfer that came in and uh, definitely contributed in a big way. He had a he had one that he busted out for, um, you know, 10 plus. Yeah, yard all, carry. all three backs look really talented. All sure. three backs look great out there. And so Kavorian Barnes is going to have uh, plenty of opportunities to catch his breath on the sidelines without the roadrunners having to take any step back. Now, you said the, and one other thing I want to ask you about you said something to me in the stands. I don't know if you recall, it was something about. Um, you know, opportune times. We're seeing, you know, trick plays get called and we were getting penalties. Oh, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. Those trick plays. Yeah, yeah. We need to talk about that. I, I was like pretty furious with play calling in the first half. <laughs> um, so we saw a lot of this under Barry Looney when he was the offensive coordinator at UTSA. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't really see it under Will Stein much at all. And then now it, it like, kind of came back, uh, you know, with uh, with Burke now being the play caller. Just like UTSA will be on a drive and they're getting five to 10 yards per play, just moving it steady. Everything's nothing, working. Nothing. Yep. Everything's working. Nothing's really slowing them down. And then boom, trick play. That just does not work. And it drives me up a wall, man. I hate it. <laughs> I think every trick play that UTSA ran against Houston failed miserably. And there was no reason for them to be called in the right. first place. Right, exactly. You don't pull out trick plays whenever you're moving the ball in a tie game. Like that. Okay. So they did run trick plays against UT Austin, right? They had a couple like running back passes. That's the time to do it when you're a 20 point underdog. Yeah, exactly. You're playing from behind. (laughs) You've got a five star NFL talent guarding your two star receiver or whatever. Cool, dude. I'm I'm like, like, that's fine. Do whatever you want. Uh, But like (laughs) when you're neck and neck, it's a one score game against a team that you're favored to beat. Why are you taking the ball out of your quarterback's hand to like have some guy playing his first game at UTSA run wildcat or something like, Oh gosh. my gosh. Uh, it, it, it pains me. It pains me, but to see that sort of thing. I think they really decreased that in the second half. <clears throat> you know, I think they'll, they'll tune it down. I love getting creative on offense, but I don't, I don't like crazy gadget plays. I feel like you get creative with like your route combinations and, the way that you slide your protection and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. Some of the stuff I saw I was, was not a fan of, but I do think that Justin Burke called a pretty good game overall. I, I think like, sure. of course there was a lot of criticism. UTSA only scored, uh, you know, 14 points. Right. So it's like, how could you have a good game as a play call? You don't score 14 points. But um, I thought there were a lot of plays, but we, the receiver was open for a big gain. Frank didn't see him, you know, just some in character, uncharacteristic missed passes same as the curable, you know, just like it's easy to criticize a play caller because the play doesn't end well, but that doesn't mean the call is bad. I think 
some small critiques. I think there was maybe like a little bit too much of run pass option. Also, I think Frank probably should have handed it handed off more on run pass option. It seemed like you yeah. really wanted to throw it. Yeah. Um, pretty too minor many. stuff, you know. Yeah. A little too much of the RPO for my fit for my flavor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let's hold the pitchforks for now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Look, the mistakes will get cleaned up, and Frank is also going to get back into his normal swagger and his normal routine, right? Uh, he, he's going to get the rust off. The penalties will get fixed. I think the biggest question mark, the biggest issue, the biggest worry that UTSA fan needs to have right now is the special teams. Yeah. Um, we looked really, really bad whenever we were receiving and whenever we were delivering on special teams. And Jared even called uh, this game could be separated by a field goal. Well, we had a 44 yard missed field goal Quick. from new place kicker Tate Sandell. It was a hard kick. It was far. It was windy, but it was one that we needed. It was one that we missed. And and that's just the facts. So yep. had the distance though. That was good. Had the distance. Had the distance. And it boinked off the upright. I mean it was mm-hmm. close, man. That's a mm-hmm. hell of a that's a hell of a first kick to be asked to go and kick for for uh for the college team that you're now <laughs> playing for. So, it's crazy, like in these close one score games, how much it truly is a game of inches, and you just see it all the time. You know, it's just like, man, you get a couple inches one way or the other. Uh, but you know, and, and on the Houston side as well, like Man Jack, I think, had that one play on the sideline where he stepped out by like one inch. I can't remember if yes, they ended up scoring in that yes, still, but yes, yeah. yep. The foot on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh any last notes on U of H before we do some Patreon shoutouts? Oh man. I sure as hell hope we get these guys back on the schedule because, man, we need that one back, bro. We need these last two back (laughs) big time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, But, you know, if I'm Houston and I almost get beat twice, oh, my God, I'm not I'm not scheduling that. (laughs) I'm going to let the next athletic director make that mistake. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to our new subscribers on Patreon this week. Quite a few. Uh, some players' moms, which is always fun. Uh, Miss Krista Beatty, insider tier. Walker got the start at left tackle. Got beat early on and played a great game the rest of the way out. Uh, Olivia Bodie joined us at the insider tier. And she's actually Ty Leonard's mom. And she came to our preseason kickoff party that we had on What Friday. up? Shout out. Great meeting her. Shout out to everyone that came out to our party. It was so much fun. Anytime we throw an event, big event like that, it's always like, oh, man, like no one's going to show up. Or there's going to be so many people show up that were unprepared. But I really think it went perfect. You yeah. Know, had a great time. Yeah, it was great. Only thing is like that, a bike group showed up out of nowhere. <laughs> Critical mass crashed the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was an awesome time. So thanks to everyone who came out. It was great to meet so many of you guys, both longtime subscribers and uh, new listeners. Thank you to Daniel Herrera joining in the Insider tier. John Alvarez at the Insider Tier and Katia Diamante at the Booster Tier. Uh, we also had an upgrade this week. So thank you to our friends Jenna and Andy and Zildua for upgrading to the Big Money Donor Tier. Got to hang out with them at the preseason kickoff party and at the game last Saturday. So always, always great to see them. Mm. All right, Adrian, well, let's take a quick Cumbia break and then uh, we can come back and check out these Texas State Bobcats.
the UTSA Roadrunners are 4-0 in the I-35 rivalry in football. Mm. But this might be the biggest test yet. Tech State Bobcats come into the Alamo Dome fresh of a massive, massive 25-something point swing, point spread upset over the Baylor Bears. Jeb Trailer, yep. former quarterback and mentee, G.J. Kinney has taken over the Bobcat program, has reinvigorated the program, and one of the best offenses that you'll see is coming to San Antonio. Oh, buddy. Oof. One of the best offenses that we'll see. Holy cow. Yes. Texas State was a 27.5-point underdog going to Waco to play Baylor, and they, they don't just beat them. They beat the hell out of them. It's a 40-burger, 42-31 to 31 against the Bears. You had half of the Baylor consensus leaving by halftime of that game. Um, I mean, it was a complete mollywop, Jared. They destroyed- Dude, Baylor, Baylor fans are, like, so loyal, so faithful. They're all great Baptists and all that. They were booing the Baylor offensive line nine minutes into the first quarter. <laughs> Texas State whipped their ass, dude. Oh my gosh, man! <laughs> Unbelievable, and it's and oh, they got dominated, man. Their look, okay, first like power five win. Yeah, UTSA gosh. got their first power five win against the Baylor Bears as well. But Baylor was coming off some of the most crippling NCAA infraction penalties that we have yep. seen in the modern era of college football. There is yep. no excuse for Baylor to get the brakes beaten off of them by Texas State like this. And what, year three, year four, the Dave Aranda era? Oh, my gosh, man. Baylor, what are you doing? I, I would be just wrecked if I was a Baylor fan right now. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, we never beat Baylor like that. I, and, it, and it is hard. Like, I really want to talk trash about Baylor and, like, really criticize them. But I'm afraid, like, I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from Texas State. They played a freaking awesome game, dude. They were so ready for that game. They were excellent. But Baylor, buddy. Some of the stuff that I saw watching that game was just my mouth, my my jaw just dropped. Look at they hadn't practiced at all. And like Dave Aranda is an amazing coach. Like I have so much respect for him, but I'm sitting there watching that game. Like he does not have these dudes ready to play whatsoever. It's, I don't know. It's just nuts. I was just so taken aback. All I know is we better shake off that Houston loss real damn quick, man. Because you have a Texas State team that is absolutely electric on offense. Coming into the Alamo Dome, just licking their chops. I mean, they're firing on all centers right now, and they are ready. They are ready to come into the Alamo Dome and take, for the first time, the I-35 rivalry trophy to San Marcos. They're so ready to do that, dude. And UTSA, they better wake the hell up and be ready to defend that damn trophy. We are 4-0 against Texas State. And I'll be damned if we finish this weekend four and one. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. I mean, the the ramifications as far as UTSA's season. Sure, if they start zero two, they can still go win the AC. The ramifications that it does to UTSA's uh, fan base and emotional system. <laughs> oh my gosh, brother! I don't know if there's any recovering, Jared. Oh man. Y'all thought UTSA Twitter was bad after this Houston loss? Man, you see nothing yet. <laughs> oh, they lose to Texas State. It's going to get ugly. It's going to be extremely ugly. ugly. And uh, we've had a couple close calls with him over the years. Jeff Trailer's mm-hmm. very first game coached was yep. against Texas State. So 
thriller into overtime, 51 to 48 during the COVID season. And uh, a lot of those guys that were on the field are still on Jeff Trailer's roster. And they remember that game. It's the last time that we played Texas State. Texas State, on the other hand, doesn't have anybody on their team that has ever played UTSA, minus this maybe some of the UIW transfers that came over with G.J. Kinney. Yeah, I, I really want to do a deep dive on that, see if any of these UIW transfers at Texas State were there for that 2019 game against UTSA. This is the team that had the second most transfer portal guys come to the program uh, in this one single offseason, 2023 only behind Deion Sanders, uh, Colorado, mm-hmm. who beat TCU last week. And so Texas State does the same thing against Baylor. Uh, you know, we like to talk about the longevity and how important it is for guys to be playing with each other and to gel with each other and to know each other on the field. But here you have two brand new teams, brand new groups of guys with each other. And they are playing electric, electric offensive football between Colorado and Texas State. Um, So very, very quickly, are we seeing in real time the college football landscape drastically change right before our very eyes? Mm -hmm. This is probably the best team Texas State has fielded maybe in all of UTSA's existence. Not even just the years that we played them. You hate to like really make that jump of a conclusion after one game, but I've never seen a Texas State team look that athletic, look that composed, make that many big plays, play that together. Yeah, and play play that fearless too. I mean, they 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 had no fear in their heart for the Baylor Bears. That's for sure, brother. So it starts with SEC quarterback T.J. Finley, who transferred over to Texas State from Auburn. Originally with LSU, mm-hmm. freshman. Now he is a Texas State Bobcat, and he lit up the Baylor Bears defense 22 for 30, 298 yards, damn near 10 yards per completion. Three, count them, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He did have some balls get away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, bad, bad time getting the snap. Uh, fumbled, lost a fumble. But other than that, the guy played damn near perfect football. He also ran one into the end zone. What did you say? He had seven incompletions? Eight. Eight. At least two of them should have been touchdown catches that were dropped. Maybe three. The guy. TJ Finley came to Texas State. My understanding of him as a quarterback was that he was not very athletic. He was big. He was inaccurate. But he did have a big arm. It's not what I saw out there against Baylor. He was hitting spots with his throws. He was reading the defense really well. Baylor was misaligned in their secondary shockingly often. And TJ Finley found that open receiver pretty much every time. I mean, he looked like he had been running this offense for four years with the way that he just commanded it, moved the ball downfield, and and didn't make any throws that were terribly risky, I didn't think. So a lot of guys thought that uh, Arkansas tra- uh, Arkansas transfer Malik Hornsby was going to lead the quarterback position mm-hmm. at Texas State. And from what I had gathered through my offseason research was Malik Hornsby, a little bit more dynamic, can do more with his feet, gets a lot done. But 
TJ had the better arm, that he was mm-hmm. the better passer, that he was the better passer, the natural passer. And uh, yeah, it sure looks like they made the right decision because that guy was throwing the ball beautifully against Baylor on Saturday. I mean, just tremendous stuff. And so the very first person that Roadrunner needs to be on high alert for is going to be TJ Finley. Yeah, definitely. He's got some pretty solid receivers to throw to. They're both shorter guys, but both pretty electric. Ashton Hawkins is their uh, number one receiver, Where's number one. Super quick. I mean, he can start and stop on a dime. His change of direction is nuts. Um, he did have some drops, right? So that's one thing to look out for, but really great receiver for the Bobcats. Other guy to know is Joey Hebert. They call him Joe Dirt because they say that he makes dirty catches and he runs dirty routes. Definitely did that against Baylor. Uh, he had some Sports Center top 10 plays, plays with no gloves. So that's fun to see from receiver. Mm-hmm. Like that, uh, just a crazy like hand eye coordination. He's a transfer from Utah Tech, which is formerly Dixie State. Uh, wow. So they found this guy, they got this guy at the mud for sure. Uh, just I don't know the interesting receivers, both of them. You know, they're they're both short, but um, can make big, big plays happen for sure. Really explosive. Now here's some crazy, I mean crazy parallels for you, Jared. Baylor outgains Texas State by way of total yardage, offensive output, uh, more first downs, longer time of possession. They commit more penalties, nine to Texas State's four, and they commit, well, equally as many turnovers, but they have an interception, whereas Texas State does not, and they lost a fumble. Does that sound familiar? Yes, but I w- I would not compare this game to the Houston UTSA game. Texas Day whipped them, man. Uh, they won in the trenches on both sides. Baylor's offensive line looked like junior varsity. I mean, I, I wouldn't even begin to compare. Looking at how bad Baylor was on defense and how well UTSA played on defense we feel good about UTSA being able to slow down the TJ Finley show. I I guess good is relative, right? I think this offense is so good. They're going to put points up against anyone they play. Um, Mm -hmm. GJ Kinney and Mac Liftwich, who he was a quarterback at UTEP uh, those early years in conference USA for UTSA, which I mean, like for the older guys, a bit of a wake up call to start seeing guys that UTSA played against now coaching the opponents and being a coordinator at that, just wait until they're the head coaches. We're really going to feel old. Right. Um, but their offense just schemes guys open. I think it the the maybe the first or second touchdown that Texas State had, they ran a play where <clears throat> the tight end, the outside receiver kind of slanted into the middle of the field, kind of like a pick route kind of deal. And then it drew the defenders with them into the middle of the field. And then they released the running back on like a swing route. Uh, they essentially ran mesh with the running back. There was no one within 10 yards of that receiver. And it was like a, a red zone play. It's like, how can you possibly get that open in the red zone? Um, and Colorado ran the exact same play against TCU mm. as part of their, their upset win. Right. So some of the brightest minds uh, in football, I think coaching that offense. So they're going to find ways to get guys open, you know, no matter how good UTC defense is playing talent mismatches, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
you know, it, and it's a video game offense, you know, and when you're playing the game, you find out what works and you're going to feed it. Right. right. Um, you know, the, the, the phrase that I have heard about this offense for tech state isolate and attack, which I think is spot on when I watch them play against Baylor, they're going to overload one side to pull the defense over, have a matchup they like on the other side, go for that matchup. They're just going to scheme it to where they're going to get a one-on-one that they feel good about. Right. And, you know, nine times out of 10, you get an easy read for the quarterback like that. And it just takes one step, you know, at the right time to get them open enough uh, for the quarterback to sling that thing in, especially when they can throw the rock like TJ Finley can. So while I definitely feel like UTSA's defense is going to do better than Baylor's did against Texas State, um, definitely don't expect, you know, a shutout performance or anything like that. This offense is legit, man. They're, they're really strong. Yeah, extremely legit. And the team looks really disciplined, man. You only had four penalties. They, they played like clean, clean mm-hmm. football. It clearly state. looks like a team that's got a point to prove. But more so than that, you, we talk about G.J. Kinney being a part of, you know, the Jeff Trailer coaching tree, right? And even mm-hmm. underneath his tutelage as a player at one point. But what Jeff Trailer's done so well and the reason why UTSA has been able to win so many games is by instilling a culture a winning culture. And he has the buy-in from everybody in that locker room on his triangle of toughness, on his culture pillars, on his 2-1-0 and single digits. I mean, it's all about the culture. Clearly, G.J. Kinney is installing a winning culture at Texas State. I think that's the thing that UTSA fans got to be most scared of because we got a we got a long contract here with Texas State. We're going to be playing <laughs> each other a hell of a lot. Yeah, and, uh, I'm more worried about the 2024 game right now than I am the 2023 one. Rightfully so. I, I rightfully guess Texas so. State's going to graduate just as many guys as UTSA is because they have like all these UIW transfers that are super seniors and stuff. But yeah, man, this this program they're they're on the upswing. I mean, they're finally recruiting like a Texas college football program should, uh, which is the scariest part of it all. Is like they're making an effort. <clears throat> uh, it is kind of funny to see Texas State fans on Twitter, like freak out when they're having like photo shoots and they're like bringing cars into the stadium for photo shoots and stuff like that. I'm like, y'all should have been doing that 10 years ago, man. (laughs) That's what all the schools do now, man. (laughs) But they haven't seen it in so long. They don't know. Um, Yeah. So it's funny, but it's a really, you know, speaking of the incarnate word transfers, it's a really interesting dynamic they have going on. We're like, yeah, they brought in all these transfers and yeah, they rebuilt the roster but a huge chunk of those guys have been playing together for a long time in the same system in Incarnate Word. Like, I think four of their five starters on the offensive line are like massive dudes that are like 6'4", 6'5", 330 that have played thousands of snaps together at Incarnate Word, right? And they're running the same offense now, obviously. They're probably coaching staff with them too. So it's kind of similar to when Western Kentucky went and got um, my boy Bailey Zappi and they Mm. got... um, Yep. uh, Oh, what's the offensive coordinator's name? He's uh, Kitley. Is that Kitley? Kitley, yeah. And then they got three of the receivers. Mm -hmm. So it's like a lift and shift of the offense, right? And I think that's kind of what really throws this Texas State team for a bit of a wrinkle, like if you're an opponent, because you can look at the UIW tape to kind of prepare for the offensive scheme, but then they have playmakers that they've gotten from Power 5 programs that they're now able to kind of uplift the talent that was in that UIW system to make it even more lethal and deadly. So that part is, is really fascinating. And I guess we got to explain that there. So UTSA and UIW played each other in 2019. Yeah. 
before Jeff Trailer got to campus, it was Frank Wilson's last year at the helm. Those two teams, it's the only time that the crosstown showdown has occurred, right? UIW and UTSA only played one time, that was in 2019. So we're assuming that maybe, perhaps, there are some guys on that 2019 UIW squad that are now on this 2023 Texas State squad. And I'm maybe through the, the game recap, trying to see if there's any names I recognize. <laughs> because we're trying to understand, right? I mean, how can a group of transfers really care so much about a rivalry game, right? But if these guys were on that UIW team, they care a hell of a lot about beating UTSA. Even right? uh, the 2019 game is just, it's just fun to think about. I mean, Incarnate Word has felt like they haven't gotten the spotlight that they deserve in San Antonio for all the winning that they've done. Mm-hmm. So even if these guys didn't end up at Texas State, even if, you know, they went, I don't know, to Tennessee or Army or whatever and like played UTSA, they would still want to beat UTSA really bad. For sure. Because they got overshadowed in San Antonio, right? They were just as successful, if not more successful than UTSA has been over these past couple of seasons. And they just didn't get the media attention. They didn't get the fan support. They didn't get the NIL money. Um, I'm sure a lot of those guys felt like they were better individually than some of the players on UTSA's roster. So I think those guys are going to be super fired up, not so much from the rivalry, the Texas State UTSA rivalry aspect, but more of like, um, like UTSA's, kind of the underdog underdog mindset. Yeah. UTSA snubbing UIW right in so many different facets over the years. Right. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, man, hundred percent. So there's so still a lot to prove for sure. Something to, something to take note of, man. But yeah, I mean, you look at the depth chart, and uh, these don't look like FCS size linemen. No. These guys are massive mm-hmm. grown men that you're going up against in this game. And so a certain thing got to be worried about. It's going to be a full on. I mean, I, I don't think now that we've talked another 10 minutes about it, I don't think it's out of bounds to say this is by far the best Texas state roster, best Texas state team that has existed throughout UTSA's existence. Yeah, just, I mean, the overall team talent is on a whole another level, right? Uh, you, Texas State's had good players in the past, for sure. Don't get me wrong. But uh, that top to bottom has not been there like it is now, which I think is massive. A couple of guys in particular that caught my eye. One of the UIW uh, transfers is a defensive end named Sam Latham. Super tall, six foot seven, lanky defensive end, but really fast, really, really fast. Um, Slow first step, he's going to get past you. And he's got long arms, so he can definitely disrupt in the passing game even if he can't get to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas State transfer tight end, Connor Fox. San Antonio kid that UTSA, I don't think, went after for whatever reason, had a good first game for them. Uh, just looks like an athlete out there as a tight end. And then a guy that was there last year for them is a Louisiana Tech transfer named Ben Bell, where's number 33. Um, he kind of plays that kind of hybrid defensive end linebacker position for them. He's just all over the field. Um, just one of those guys, number 33. You're just going to see him sideline to sideline. Not really big, not crazy fast, just a total uh, gamer uh, of a defensive lineman. You know, just um, one of those guys that always seems to be near the ball and uh, can hit with some force as well. You know, we talk about how talented they are, how good they look. I, what What's really the most scariest thing to me 
is how polished, how clean, how together, yeah. Yeah. and how electric Texas State played on the road in an intimidating environment in mm-hmm. week one. And their new head coach's very first game at the helm. Yep. Versus and the, and the Heat. Right. Versus a senior laden veteran UTSA squad that did none of that. That, that they were not clean. They were not polished. They were not playing cohesively. Uh, they were all over the place on offense. And um, that polarity from how well Texas State's offense played last Saturday to how bad UTSA's offense played last Saturday, that's what scares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. They just looked like a more prepared team last week. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that's got to change in those seven days in order for UTSA to go and get this win. Yep, I think it's pretty accurate. Jared, prediction? I think something like UTSA 34, Texas State 31 mm. feels about right to me. The line right now is crazy high. It's like 12 points. I'm not, man, I don't know. That, that seems like crazy high to me. Doesn't seem like UTSA uh, but, deserves that much credit right now. Yeah, but Vegas is good. I just, I don't think anyone knows what to expect for these teams that just totally rebuilt the roster overnight, especially with a new coach. I mean, I don't know how you can really feel accurate about it, but some of the things like watching that Tech State Baylor game that give me hope for the Roadrunners is all game long, Texas State sold out to penetrate the offensive line. Okay. They were doing a lot of like slant stunts. They were bringing a ton of pressure, bringing, you know, five, six, seven guys at a time. Baylor, they only threw like two or three screen passes. Two of them were terrible passes that didn't get caught. They didn't run a lot of misdirection or any misdirection at all. They were holding on to the ball for too long. They were running into the teeth of the defense. The play calling for Baylor was really miserable. Now that Texas State has put that on film, maybe they're not going to do that every single play against UTSA like they did against Baylor. I don't know. But now that they've put it on film, UTSA has a week to prepare for that because all those things you can really counter and you can really make some big plays, right? Running a reverse, running just a dump screen. Um, There's a lot of ways that you can punish the defense for being overly aggressive like that. Baylor hardly even attempted to do any of it. So to me, that was like super eye-opening. I think also on the other side of the ball, Baylor played with two super high safeties like the whole game. Somehow we're still getting beat over the top because those safeties were just like nowhere to be found when the ball was in the air. Uh, There was one. uh, Texas State ran three verts with trips on the left side. And all three of those Texas State receivers are running towards the end zone. And the free safety, for some reason, just like runs to like where the middle linebacker is at. It's just like, like, what in the world are you doing out there? Um, So I think for UTSA, probably want to play with one high safety like they typically do. And try to take away more of that middle ground. You're going to get beat a couple times because Finley's got that crazy arm. They've got those good receivers that can get open deep and can catch the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But you're just going to have to roll the dice on that. And, you know, I thought a Baylor did get pretty good pressure on TJ Finley. And those offensive linemen are really big, uh, but they're not super quick on their feet. Right. So I think, you know, with the speed that UTC has at linebacker and defensive line, um, I think that's kind of the key. Just try to get as many sacks as you can try to force the turnover if possible, um, and, and just kind of play that gamble of a defense is, is what I would recommend to Jess Lip, defensive coordinator. Okay. 
Andrew, like your that. prediction. I like that. I like that take a lot. Um, yeah, dude, I see a lot of points getting scored in this game. I think you're uh, I think you're pretty spot on with where you are. I'm gonna go Roadrunners 37, Texas State 31. Um, I think the Alamo Dome atmosphere gets UTSA playing their best offensive football. It's usually where we see it happen. Yeah. I think they shake off a lot of rust. They're pretty pissed off after what happened last week. You got a JT Clark back in the lineup taking live snaps. Still day to day. I think Maureen Barnes is gonna come out there and and completely wreck some guys running downfield. I think Brent Harris is going to have a complete turnaround comeback performance. Um, the one that we all expect them to have. So give me UTSA to a humble, bring back down to earth the Texas State Bobcats. Um, this rivalry will still remain not a rivalry because we will we remain undefeated against Texas State. Absolutely. It's pretty common for these G5 programs to get their big power five win and then just not show up the next week. See it pretty often. So it wouldn't surprise me if that happens this week. I mean, I think they'll still show up. But I agree. I agree. I think they're going to play a great game. I think it's going to be the best performance we've seen from Texas State in an I-35 robbery. Mm, wow. Buckle up, folks. It's going to be good. All right, before we get out of here, I want to do a couple more Patreon shout-outs for our big money donors and our board of trustees members. Uh, all of our Patreon subscribers were recently treated to CJ's first solo podcast, interviewed Faye Wilbright of the UTC volleyball team. She transferred in uh, from Texas A&M to come back to the hometown team of the Roadrunners for the volleyball program. Um, has been an instant starter and a key contributor to that team. Uh, so congrats to CJ for his first interview, uh, hopefully first of many more. Um, so definitely check that out. <clears throat> That's actually on our main feed, actually. It's on Patreon as well. Uh, we are going to do a mailbag episode for Patreon subscribers this week. Uh, we already got a ton of questions. So if you got a burning hot question, feel free. <laughs> but I'm pretty confident with how many we've got. So uh, don't feel like you got to ask one just to ask one. Save it for next time. We're doing pretty good on quantity. And then, of course, I had my first film breakdown of the 2023 season. Uh, got some fancy video edits in there as I'm trying to not be an idiot when it comes to using Adobe Premiere. <clears throat> but got good feedback on that as always. So definitely check that out to see some of uh, the things that went wrong and right for UTSA in the Houston game. Adrian, did I miss anything on all, all that? No, I, I think like that was excellent, sir. Oh, last thing I was going to say, uh, thanks to everyone that wore their Alamo Audible merch and gear. So dope. At the U of H game. So dope. My, my wife was like, it was surreal to see so many people that I don't know wearing Alamo Audible merch. I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or a put down, but it was surreal for sure. So glad that you guys are enjoying the merch uh, and telling people where you bought it from. We got like several sales like throughout the tailgate. My phone was buzzing when you sell. So word of mouth is huge for us. So thank you guys. Shout out to Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Rowdy Road Grillers, the Bunch family, Zach Espedish, Quatch and San Antonio Podcast Network. And Zach, congratulations on your engagement, dude. That's awesome. Nice. The Fikes family, Alejandro Benavides. Dan Erdahl, host of Around the Birdbath and New Father of Two. Congrats, Congrats to Dan. Yes, sir. Jacob Cavasso is board president for the UTC Alumni Association. Great alumni tailgate at U of H. I had an awesome time. Got to meet a lot of people. Um, shout out to Maddie and Mandy and Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code UTSA once home field to get 15% off of your first purchase 
and you'll be supporting us and Republic of Football podcast feed. And of course, thank you as always to a board of trustees members, Digitik, John Otwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating, Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Burger King Tailgate, Ray Redding and Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grill in the Gray Realty Group, Andy Elizada for Fish and Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, and Waterman Construction. Got to see a lot of those folks in Houston this weekend. So it was, it, you know, despite the loss, fantastic weekend uh, to meet so many guys, hang out with y'all, have a beer with you, and uh, looking to do a lot more of it this week back in San Antonio. So thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, uh, follow us on social media, and we'll see you guys back really soon with another episode. 